So today, we're going to talk about Psalm 36, and as we get started with that, uh, I'm just wondering, who are some people in your life, maybe in your family, maybe in the community, that you think of help you feel safe? Some of your friends? Okay. Your dad? Who else? Anybody? Friends? Okay. Lots of friends and all your friends and parents. Yo? Okay, so what are some things that your friends and your parents do for you to help you feel safe? How does it feel safe when you're with them? So, like, if you're, when do you really need, okay, when they help you, yeah, so, like, uh, whether we hurt our finger or we're just having a bad day, we're kind of upset, um, stressed about something, they give us medicine when we're sick, they take good care of us, yeah. Yeah, when they take care of us when we're sick. Yeah, they just, they're always around. So it's kind of a hard question to answer sometimes because sometimes that just helps us feel safe is that we know they're always there for us, right? Yeah. And so today in Psalm 36, we're going to have kind of in the middle section of the psalm, there's this big description of how awesome God's love is, that it stretches super far and affects kind of everything. It even talks about how it stretches to people and animals. And so I want you to listen for all the ways that, like, how far God's love stretches, like, all the ways that the psalmist describes, like, how big God's love is, okay? And, that, and then we want to remember that God's love is so big that it's everywhere we are so that we can always feel safe in his love, okay? All right, thanks for coming up. I appreciate it. So, as I mentioned, we're reading Psalm 36 today, and I invite you to open up your Bibles, uh, but the words will be on the screen as well. I think. There we go. This psalm is written by David. He says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. 
People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evil doers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. So the psalm is broken up into three key sections. Verses 1 through 4 talk to us about sin. Verses 5 through 9 talk about how awesome God is. And then verses 10 through 12 give us this kind of prayer in response. And so as we focus on the first four verses, we see... Oh, can we... There we go. Uh, So looking around, around us and within us, we see the darkness of sin. So David describes it simply but kind of comprehensively. He says, I've been given this message from God about the sinfulness of the wicked. And so, in Scripture, the word wicked is used to kind of define a category of people who live apart from God. So there's God's family, and then there are the wicked, people who are not following God's ways. And as we look around us in our society, there are all kinds of ways that we can identify the darkness of sin happening, and we can see these problems, and we can see the chaos, and we can feel the stress from it. But especially as we're preparing for communion today, and as we're reflecting on God's Word, and we want to apply it to our own lives, we heard this morning from Titus chapter 3 that at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That this description of the wicked is part of our past, is part of our old nature, and so it's still embedded in us in places that we don't like and sometimes don't notice. And so we also want to be reflective and apply God's word and say, Lord, expose the wickedness that's in me. Like, I may not be in the category of the wicked, but there are still wicked things in my life. And I want you to expose them and deal with them. And one of the things that I think we struggle with sometimes in kind of taking that worldly perspective and putting it on us is that out in the world where, you know, things are, people do live without the fear of God, so without reverence for God, and they, uh, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. They just, they feel so good about where they're at that they just don't even recognize what's wrong, or they're afraid to look at it and just want to say, it's okay because it's me right? The words of their mouths are deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. And so there's this kind of striving and vying for importance or success. And so we deceive people along the way and we struggle with that. Even on their beds, they plot evil. So even at rest, the things that like as you go to bed and you're starting to think about your plans for the next day and the next week, the things that they think about are still worldly, self-centered things. And it feels dark and constrained and frustrating 
as we hear this description. And one of the things that we recognize as we look outside of us is that in the world around us, people are, they feel unsafe and they feel desperate to be accepted just as they are. And we know that God's love meets us in that desperate place when we're a mess. and He meets us right where we are. But we also know that God's love desires to transfer us from being wicked to being his children and to do that work in us, to not leave us in our depraved state and just make us feel better about it, but to actually make us more like God. And sometimes I think, and I might be projecting here, uh, so if you're a victim of my, project, my self-projection, I apologize, but I think sometimes we struggle because we know we're forgiven and then we just like think of ourselves in this different category and think that our sin doesn't impact us or other people as much. But our sin is always destructive. And so it always fits this terrible description. And so while it's true that when we're in Christ, our identity is changed and we're no longer part of the wicked, it's also true that God has rescued us from our wickedness, but he hasn't made our wickedness okay. He's never satisfied with it, and he doesn't desire that we would be comfortable with it. And so we want to continue to reflect on it, let his light expose it in us, and confess it to him so we can know it's dealt with. And so as we reflect on this passage, we might ask ourselves things like, well, if the wicked live without fear of God, without reverence for God, Lord, are there ways that even though I know I desire to follow you, that I kind of still live in those same habits and behaviors? That I really don't regard your truth in some aspect of my life, or I just, I'm not really mindful of you. I just do what seems natural to me. Are there ways that I've just tried to be comfortable with myself, that I haven't trusted you to tell me the whole truth, but I've just decided to ignore, or I've just become comfortable with it, and I miss some of these places of sin in my, my life. Am I deceiving myself to think I'm better than I am, or that I, I don't recognize sin or don't dislike it? Are there ways that I'm a part of this world system to just strive and deceive and try to be a poser to make myself look different to other people than you know down deep that I am? Are there ways that in my interaction with people, like if I'm called to trust you, Lord, first, are there things that I'm trusting instead of you that I've put kind of parallel to you that should be submitting? And if I'm called to trust you and to love other people, well, you teach us to love others as we love ourselves. Do I really do that? Do I treat all these other people that I put in the category of wicked with the kind of dignity that they deserve as just being broken image bearers of God? Or have I twisted it into something else? There are all kinds of questions that we can ask to kind of expose real things in us to recognize that there's still work that God wants to do 
in us. So as we look around us and we look within us, we see the darkness of sin. But then there's this stark contrast in this, with no transition uh, to this next section. And we find that looking at God, we see the wonder of his love. See, it's kind of fascinating. David receives this message from God about the wicked, the sinfulness of the wicked, but the contrast isn't between the wicked and the righteous, but it's between the wicked and the righteous one, God himself. And it's this beautiful description and kind of overwhelming and grandiose, even if we just look at these Next two verses, verses 5 and 6. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. So everything in all creation is touched by the character of God. It extends to people and even animals who weren't made in God's image. God's great love stretches to the heavens. And his faithfulness fills the skies so that wherever we are, in whatever depraved state or righteous state, the air we breathe is as close to us as the love of God. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. These grand, high, beautiful mountains that are so strong and immovable. God's righteousness will stand strong. It's like a fortress that protects us when we're with him. Your justice is like the great deep. Now we know that in scripture the seas are often a symbol of chaos. Like the wind and the storms, they, they can disrupt us. and We don't know how to predict or control what's going to happen. But here, it's not referring to like the waves at the surface of the sea, but it's talking about the deep, the depths of the ocean. And so when we think about the strength of God's justice, like it's, there's no way we can imagine anything kind of moving the whole depth of the ocean out of place, right? God's righteousness is firm like a solid foundation, like a refuge. And his justice is as immovable as the deep. And because of that, people take refuge in him. So, as an imperfect picture of kind of how dramatically this love of God reaches us and brings us into a new state even though we don't deserve it. Um, a few decades ago, at this very time of year, it was probably the beginning of August, I was getting ready to start high school. And uh, I was fairly nervous about it, uh, looking forward to high school because middle school wasn't my favorite time, but um, at the same time, kind of nervous about being, you know, lowest on the pecking order and things like that. But so uh, we were out, I was out with my family doing some shopping and uh, we met up with this, this girl from my high school in the parking lot, and her name was Trish. And she was going to be a junior. I was going to be a freshman. We went to the same church, but we didn't really know each other. Our 
parents were friends from back in high school, but we didn't like interact as families. And she came, so it was fairly okay that she knew my name, but it was still like we didn't know each other. So she greets me in the parking lot and she's like, you're Brian, right? I was like, yeah. Uh, she said, I heard you're going out for cross country this fall. I said, yeah, I was planning on it. She said, great, we're going to start practice in a couple weeks and I will see you there. And she said, and you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but we go to church together. And so I hope you're planning on coming to youth group. I was like, yeah, I'm planning on it. Well, Monday nights, I'll see you there. And then, I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but there's another youth group in town uh, for, kinda, for people from different churches to come together, and it's called Campus Life. She said, you're going to be there too, and you'll always have a ride. Wow. For a guy who um, was pretty shy and wouldn't have started that conversation on my own, and even if I saw her and recognized her at cross-country practice in two weeks, wouldn't have said anything to her. Um, for a guy who was always trying to figure out, always wondering, like, where do I fit? Do I fit? Do I have people? To be able to start high school, not only being on the cross-country team, but knowing that this junior in high school said, she'll give me a ride if I need to go somewhere. Like, if I'm going to... So she was committed to encouraging me in my faith, and she said, I get to be her friend. And starting high school with that context was super safe. And in, in reality, Trish and her friends became my core group of friends. And so even though I continued to struggle with, do I have people? Do I belong? Everybody else was looking at me going, why is Brian hanging out with all these juniors? Why? Um, so it was a very safe place, and it's, it's not a perfect illustration, but it helps us see the power of God's love pervading all of creation, that everywhere we are, at whatever moment we recognize that we're not in a good place and we need God, he's there. His love stretches to the heavens, and his faithfulness fills the skies. So that wherever we, we are, as easy as it is to take a breath, we can turn to God and say, I need you. And he says, I've been waiting. I'm ready. Come, follow me. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. And then we see in these next few verses how awesome and wonderful that is. Remember, it's in this contrast to the first four verses that were just dark and lame. Like everything felt painful and stilted and dark and fake. And now we see God's love and his characters fills creation and stretches everywhere. And that when we receive it, we respond saying, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You nestle us in and you hold us close and you comfort us when you need it and you protect us when we need that. It says they feast on the abundance of your house. Because his love stretches to the heavens and his faithfulness fills the skies as we come into his family and we experience him and we let go of the past and let him 
pour himself into us and we receive it by faith. We get the abundance of his generosity and who he is as he just wants to give more and more and more of himself. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from your river of delights. The word that's translated for us as delights there is actually Eden. So the picture is that we drink from the river of Eden. Like God's first imagination of what the beauty of earth could be. Where we lived in right relationship with him and everything in this plush garden grew the way it was supposed to. There were no weeds and no frustration. When we come into this love, when we accept it, receive it, and trust God, we get to drink from the river of Eden and feast out of the abundance of who God is. For with him is the fountain of life. When we're with him, we have life, and when we're not, there's no life. In your light, we see light. You see, in the old way of thinking, in this way that we used to know, there were lots of things. We could see the difference between dark and light, and things made sense to us. But now, as we enter into this love and abundance and grace of the Lord, and we are encompassed and kind of embraced in his love and his light, now we see more clearly. And what used to be light to us is just darkness. Everything fades in comparison to how true and wonderful God is. It's worth noting, I think, that this word that's translated love about three times in this psalm is a Hebrew word that's hard for me to say because I don't know Hebrew that well, but it's hesed. It's a deep and powerful word with grand meaning that I can only scratch the surface of this morning. But the hesed love of God, is, in some translations it's translated the loyal love. It's the covenantal love. It's this love that grows out of the character of who God is. It's not a love that he gives us in reciprocating what we give him. It's the love that he gives out of his character that extends to the highest heavens and fills the skies that when we experience him, he says, you are welcome here. And then when we experience that, when we hear him declare that over us, that he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people, that he's made a way through Jesus to get rid of our sins, that we can be made righteous children of God, then we reciprocate his hesed love and give him love back. And so David paints this incredible picture that while we understand the sinfulness and the darkness of the wicked, and we know that it's part of our journey too, it's part of our story, and we don't deserve to be ushered into this grand, wonderful experience with God, but God says, I want you to be here. Then we're invited into this prayer. 
David kind of gives us this prayer that we can offer in response as we reflect on the darkness of sin and the wonder of God's love. And we pray that we would live in love. That we would live in this love that exudes creation because it is the character of God. That we wouldn't just know that it's true or that it's available, but that it would be ours, that we would receive it, that we would believe God and know that Jesus is the only gateway to become God's children, to be his people. That we would confess our sin, that we would repent and turn away from the wicked, dark, awful way of the past and turn toward the one who loves us and embraces us. So we pray that we would live in this love, that God would grow this love, that we would grow strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We pray that we would be safe from harm. That God would protect us from the temptations of the old ways that still makes so much sense to us. That we wouldn't drift away from this God who loves us so much. That we wouldn't try to find a new path or an old one. But that we would stay and live in his presence, in his grace, in his truth. We pray that we would be safe from harm because we... We live in a dangerous place. We live in a wicked world where God's character is everywhere, but it doesn't define our experience. Everything that's good comes from the Lord, but there's lots that's not good. So we pray that we would be protected, safe from harm, that he would hold us close. And then David closes with this verse that doesn't sound like a prayer, but I think it is. It says, see, at least in our English translation, it says, see how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. It's a fascinating statement. It's written in the past tense like it's already happened, but with this sense that the impact of what happened in the past is still continuing in our experience and still real for us today. So David says, see how the evildoers lie fallen. They've, they've fallen and they can't get up. Their time is done. And it, God gave him this message about the, the sinfulness of the wicked a thousand years before Jesus emerged on the scene. And yet, God was fully confident even then that his battle against evil was won. That there was no danger to him or his people. We, now being able to know that Jesus is in our history, that he came and he died on the cross to pay for our sin and he rose from the dead conquering death and evil and sin, that's part of our history. So we've witnessed that God really did do it. He declared from the cross, it is finished. And we know that we still live in this broken world and broken lives. And so our experience doesn't suggest that evil has fallen and fails to get up. But we know it's true. 
We know that everything that needs to happen in order to put evil away has been accomplished. And all God is waiting for now is to make sure that he doesn't leave out people who could still come in. So we pray that we would live in this love, that it would be for us, that we would own it as our own, receive it as our own, that we would be safe from harm, and that we would endure in truth, in the truth that God's love stretches to the heavens, his faithfulness fills the skies, his righteousness is like the refuge of a high, mighty mountain, and his justice is as strong and immovable as the depths of the ocean floor. That he in his great power and his loving kindness has defeated death, evil, and sin. And when he's ready, they will not get up again. And he invites us to be with him as his people forever. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we pray that you would do your work in us. As we prayed at the beginning of the service, it's still our simple prayer. Lord, there are remnants of wickedness in us that we don't like to admit, that we don't like to see. We pray that you'd help us trust your love enough to expose the darkness in us so that you can clean it up. And we know from past experience that that doesn't often happen just one time. That we see the same darkness repeated in us. We've got dark habits so we pray that you would give us the faith to trust you again and again and again, that we would not hide our sin, but we would let you expose it. Because in your light is light. And you are the fountain of life. Lord, we know and we admit before you today that we don't deserve relationship with you. We don't even deserve this opportunity to pray to you to be ushered into the throne room of the God of the universe. But we come because you welcome us. You invite us. We come because Jesus made a way. So we pray that you would help us live in your love. We pray that it would consume us. That we would receive it as true. Receive it as yours. Receive it as ours that we would share it with others. Pray that you would protect us from harm, protect us from the deception of the evil ways. Keep us safe in your hand. We pray that you would help us endure in truth, knowing that you're our only hope. You're enough, and you've done it all already. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, it's communion. We're invited to come to this table, the Lord's Supper. 
and experience a taste of what it's like to feast out of the abundance of God's love. Jesus paid for our sin with his life. And we do this to remember him. To remember that it's real. That one, as we receive this bread and juice today, we confess that what Jesus said is true. We're sinners. We're wicked. We can't fix it on our own. And we need him. We confess that he is the one who can save us. And we accept his promise that when we receive him, we're forgiven. And that his promise is as real to us as this bread and juice will feel. We can touch and see these things, and that's how true his promise is to us when we receive it by faith. So let us hear the gracious invitation of our Lord given to us in the Holy Scriptures. Jesus in Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We hear this great description and declaration of God's love in John 3, where we hear, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, to shame us in our sin, but to save the world, to rescue us through him. Well, how can this be true for me? How can I receive it? We're instructed in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we are shared in the one loaf. As we prepare for communion, just a few instructions. One, at Bethesda we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of the congregation in order to participate. But Jesus has offered this meal to those who are children of God who by faith see Jesus, trust in Jesus as their Savior. So that's true of you, we invite you to participate. If it hasn't been true of you, but you sense that God is nudging you to trust him today, we invite you to participate with us and confess your sins with us and receive this as the assurance that God wants this gift to be for you. Uh, there are tables in the back as well as up front. Uh, the cups have everything contained, wafers and juice together. Uh, in a moment, I'll invite you to go to the table that's nearest to you. 
Uh, you can grab that. There are verses for kids. Um, and then you can return to your seat. We'll be playing a song. You can sing along or just let it wash over you. Use the time to pray and reflect. Confess your sin and talk to God about who he is and what you need. Um, and then we'll let the song play out and then we'll all participate together. I'll guide us through receiving the elements. We invite you to examine yourselves as scripture teaches through these four questions. Do you believe the promises found in the scriptures? Do you recognize Jesus' presence in these elements? Do you repent of your sins? Are you reconciled with fellow believers? As you work through those questions by faith, we invite you to participate with us. So as you're ready, I'll invite you to come up.